it's pretty devastating to go to bed feeling like a person and wake up the next day and at 10, 20, all of a sudden discover that your country does not consider you a person anymore, that you are a vessel, that you are, your function is kind of analogous to livestock in terms of the kinds of rights that you have over your own body. It's very personal, it's devastating, and it's infuriating. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. In the aftermath of the U.S. Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and end the constitutional right to an abortion, half of U.S. women live in states where they are at risk of losing abortion access. How will the overturning of Roe v. Wade change the landscape of abortion rights in Vermont and New England? For answers, I turned to two organizations that have been on the front line of the reproductive rights movement locally and nationally. Lucy LaRiche is the Vice President of Public Policy for the Vermont at Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. James Duff Lyle is Executive Director of the Vermont Chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. Disclosure, I am a board member of the ACLU of Vermont. I began by asking Lucy LaRiche what the landscape of post-Roe New England is going to look like. I wish I had that crystal ball. What we're anticipating it will look like is this. Northern New England, actually a larger, all of New England and as well as New York, this region is, um, is all protected. We have abortion, abortion rights are protected in our region. So that's the good news. Well, the part that we don't know and the part that's really hard to model for and to figure out is the part around human behavior and what kind of infrastructure might be available to help people access abortion care in states where it's criminalized or banned. We know that, or we assume that many people in a, in a state who, who need an abortion um, will go to the nearest state by car. I don't think that we can really make that assumption though. And in fact, just this morning, I was on a, in, a, in a meeting with a team where we learned that there were, we have already since Friday, um, we have gotten, we've scheduled abortion appointments already for someone, for people from Louisiana, Texas, Tennessee, South Dakota, and South Dakota. And, um, and that's just since Friday. That's so, kind of remarkable because Vermont is never mm -hmm. a cheap place to get to, especially from Louisiana. Why would they bypass closer states to come here? That is, and that is exactly why this is all so unpredictable. But what we are learning is that people are, when you're seeking something, okay, first I'm going to back up and say, we're all traumatized here. We, we're, as a country, we are suffering a collective trauma from this act that has basically stripped away personhood from a huge swath of the population. So there's, there's that layer. And when you have, um, when you are in an emotional state of distress, what do you do? You look for social supports. And sometimes that means going, doing a thing that might not seem 
on the, on the surface immediately really logical, like go to Vermont instead of the next closest state to access your abortion because you are in, in distress. And I think that is, so that is the piece that's unknown. How many people are going to go, where people are going to go for their abortions. And I think that um, having social support, a social support network and contacts in other states is going to be at least one of many factors. Let me go, go back to the landscape of New England. New England is not, the states are not uniform in their approach to abortion. Um, New Hampshire, for one, has uh, restrictions. So can you just give a snapshot of Vermont's neighbors, including New York, in terms of access to abortion care? Yeah, I'm not an expert on all the all of the different um, all the different restrictions uh, around access. I know that Maine, for example, has gestational limits at 23 or 24 weeks. Um, New Hampshire also has gestational limits as well as parental notification requirements. They just um, Governor Sununu had had signed a budget bill that required uh, mandatory ultrasounds. And there was no exception for abortion after 24 weeks for the life and health of the of the pregnant person. So that was repealed at just in this legislative session. And I think, and in, in Massachusetts, I think there are also um, restrictions where uh, on parental notification as well. So all of these states around us, um, there, they may have restrictions on either who can provide an abortion, gestational limits, parental notification, and others. Vermont, however, has no has none of those restrictions because I think very smartly in Vermont we realize that pregnancy is an incredibly sorry my phones are going crazy that that um, that abortion and pregnancy is a really complicated pregnancy is a really complicated um, condition and that a lot of things can happen and that we need every option available to us when we're pregnant to work with our healthcare provider to ensure the best outcome. And that this is not something we can legislate. This is not a one size fits all. We can't pass laws that will um, ensure that people will get good care. So I think Vermont has been very smart in our approach to this in saying, look, we're the government, we don't know best here in this realm. Medical providers and patients are the ones who should be making these decisions. Is there a concern, Vermont being a small state, having limited capacity in just about every realm, whether we can handle an influx of cases from out of state? Well, I think, um, you know, it's gonna depend on how many cases we, uh, you know, we have, in our health centers, you know that we just closed several of our health centers. So this is gonna sound um, ironic, but we are actually increasing our capacity to be able to provide abortion care, particularly through telehealth. So the telemedicine, medication abortion will be, I think, uh, a very important tool for us to be able to provide abortion care to people. Whether and, or not we have the capacity for whoever comes, I have no idea. And currently, I know nationally, a little over half of abortions 
our medication abortions nationally. Do you know what the breakdown is here in Vermont? Off the top of my head, I don't have that uh, like at my fingertips, but I can tell you that it is more than half. Mm -hmm. It's the majority, the majority of abortions are medication abortions in Vermont. Uh, let me turn to Duff Loyal from ACLU of Vermont. Duff, let me just first get your reaction to the Supreme Court uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Well, you know, I think, um, as Lucy said, this is a really, really painful moment um, for the country. It's a really terrifying moment for so many people. Uh, as many have said, it's the first time we've seen the Supreme Court roll back constitutional rights, um, and in this case, a 50-year precedent. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a really um, shameful and disgraceful legal opinion. It's not based in any legal reasoning. It's a, it's a dishonest opinion, as you know, the dissenters um, argued. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're all just um, thinking about the tremendous harm that this has done and will still do to countless people. Um, and, you know, and people who have been disproportionately harmed by abortion restrictions for years, um, that will continue. Um, black women, people of color, low-income people are going to be disproportionately harmed. Their lives are going to be upended, have been, are being upended, um, and lives will be lost. Um, and so, I mean, it's just, it's difficult to um, overstate just um, what, a, what a terrible moment this is that, that we are living in. Um, and, is, and it's going to get worse. You know, we, we know that it's going to get worse and the impacts that, that we are going to see are going to be truly horrific. There has been a wave of lawsuits nationally, ACLUs involved in many of them in other states. Um, what legal recourse is there now that the Supreme Court has spoken? Um, well, yeah, the, the, so the ACLU, along with Planned Parenthood and, and other organizations, have been litigating against abortion restrictions for decades, and we're not going to stop anytime soon. I think, you know, we've in the last few days, along with Planned Parenthood, ACLU has filed litigation in places like Utah, uh, Kentucky. Um, I'm certain that additional litigation is um, underway. Um, were planned. And so, you know, we are going to keep doing everything we can to um, protect uh, access to reproductive health care as much as we can and for as long as we can in as many places we can, just as we've been doing for a very, very long time. Um, that's not going to stop. It's going to get a lot harder. Um, but we're, you know, litigation has always been one tool in our toolbox, and we are not shy about using it strategically. Um, and we, if we can uh, impact you know, uh, make an impact anywhere, any impact um, to preserve uh, abortion access for any number of people, we're going to do that. It looks like the strategy in many of these lawsuits that I'm reading about um, in Idaho, in Utah, in Missouri, is to cite the state constitutions that abortion bans violate the different state constitutions. Vermont has Proposal 5 coming up this fall. Uh, Duff, can you talk about what Proposal 5 does and doesn't do? This is the Reproductive Liberty Amendment. Yeah, so, and I, I would, you know, we are really proud to partner with um, Lucy and Planned Parenthood on, uh, you know, in championing this effort. 
Um, and so it's the Reproductive Liberty Amendment um, is, is now the official title. And that's, that's what people will see on their ballots um, this year. Um, and this, you know, when people ask what we can do um, in response to the Supreme Court decision last week, um, I mean, first it's important to say there's a lot that we can and need to do um, at the local, state, and federal levels. There is no one solution. But here in Vermont, first and foremost, the most important thing that we can do in the state of Vermont is to pass the Reproductive Liberty Amendment, which would explicitly enshrine reproductive liberty in the state constitution. That's the highest legal protection that we can possibly uh, give um, to uh, reproductive liberty uh, in Vermont. And it would essentially uh, subject any, any restriction on uh, reproductive autonomy would be subjected to heightened scrutiny, strict scrutiny, um, uh, which is you know what, when the courts are um, looking at, in, in, at a law that might regulate abortion or place some restriction on abortion access or other reproductive health care, um, the, the courts would look um, very closely at that. Is the strict scrutiny is the legal term? That's the highest level of, of judicial review. So um, you know, again, this is the best first thing that we can do in Vermont in response to this decision. It is far from the only thing, but um, it, it is, it, it's what's in front of us right now. And again, we're really proud to be working with Planned Parenthood and, and other partners around the state um, to get people the information that they need um, you know, about this amendment. If, uh, you know, the talk now, Mitch McConnell has talked about his wish and Kevin McCarthy, uh, you know, the leaders, the Republican leaders in Congress, have both spoken of their desire to see a federal ban on abortions for all 50 states. What, how would reproduct, uh, I'm sorry, how would Prop 5 survive a, a federal ban, Duff? Well, you know, we don't know. Um, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what some future Congress might do. Um, all we can control is what's in front of us. And, and so, you know, I really think it's it's important not to go too far down the road of, well, what if the future Congress does this, that, or the other? We don't know how that would be received in Vermont or other states or how it would be interpreted. Or you know, There's so much uncertainty that has been injected into, you know, the, the nation like politically as a political matter by this decision. Um, I, I really think it's important to focus on what we can control and what's in front of us. And again, for Vermont this year, it's passing the Reproductive Liberty Amendment. And then we won't stop there. That is not the only thing that we can do, but that is first and foremost, our priority. Um, and I think it needs to, to remain the priority through November. Um, so. Lucy Larish, um you know, one of the things that has struck me as we're newly venturing into this world, uh, a post-Roe world, is how profound it is to say that a woman does not have autonomy and control of her body. Um, it Essentially, a, one professor was describing it as, a, you know, now every woman uh, or every person who can get pregnant uh, their pregnancy is a potential crime scene because if anything goes wrong with that pregnancy, they're potentially criminally liable. What, um, I won't even call them unintended consequences. I mean, what are some of the things that are going to be affected by this kind of sweep, these sweeping bans we're seeing enacted in other states? 
Yeah, you you are so right about that, David. So, and so if someone gets an ectopic pregnancy, I heard a, cl a clinician on OBGYN saying that they were concerned about performing a you know an abortion on a patient who had an ectopic pregnancy. Ectopic pregnancies for listeners who might not know is a pregnancy that embeds in the fallopian tube and it's deadly. It will, it will for certain not be a viable pregnancy and it will for certain kill the person um, who is pregnant. So there's, there's that, there's the public, there's the health consequences of that. There are people who are, um, who may face criminal, criminal, criminal charges or you know, a bounty in the case of the Texas style law for having a miscarriage. Because then all of a sudden that miscarriage, the question is, okay, did you smoke pot the night before you miscarried? Did you um, try to perform a self-abortion? Did you try to you know, self-manage your own abortion? Did you, um, did you do a headstand the night before? And I'm being facetious, of course, but it's, um, you know, there are all kinds of things that can go wrong with the pregnancy. We know that pregnancy is an incredibly complex condition. And all of a sudden, every single thing that could happen in a pregnancy, which can be really um, heartbreaking to the pregnant person or to the family um, invested in that pregnancy. And uh, it, it really does subject people to this unknown world of accusations, terror, fear, retaliation, and vindictive behavior perhaps by neighbors, um, yeah. uh, victims of sexual assault. I mean, the list goes on and on. The con it's, um, it's cruel. Um, the, the possibilities are kind of endless and it really sets up a state where the, the kind of fear and uncertainty, I think is, it's like the American Taliban is a form of terror. Looking at the map of the post-Row United States is really striking. The country has now split in two, the part of the country where women have rights and the part of the country where women have lost their rights to control their own bodies. Um, what is the responsibility here in the in the East, in that part of the country where women still have rights? Um, what is the responsibility that we have, or that you know, the role we can play in this dramatically divided country? Well, I think we are. I'm really proud to say that I think in Vermont, we are playing a really important role in passing the Reproductive Liberty Amendment in this campaign. Make, I, I think we can, I, I can't under, I can't overstate the potential impact that this amendment could have nationally. I've been contacted by a number of states who are inspired, really inspired by what Vermont is doing and it's giving others hope. And if we can, galvanize as a state and create a really solid victory, a victory that looks like a mandate that is going to create high water for more boats and more ability for other states to be bold and take 
take what take similar action and to to feel empowered to move forward. I think this is the best, most impactful thing that Vermont can do. And I think it's um, I, I think it's it, it, I, I I only time will tell, but I, I think this is this could be a very important piece of of the of our movement moving forward. Duff, the abortion ruling was, of course, not the only um, dramatic uh, about face that the Supreme Court ordered last week. The day before they overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, the Supreme Court overturned New York's ability to regulate uh, concealed carry of guns. Um, I'm not a lawyer, so this is where I need your help. Um, Am I crazy or did the court just contradict itself on two days? On Thursday, when they said, we can't leave it to the states to decide to regulate guns differently state by state, we need to have a national Supreme Court ruling that says there is a federal law that dictates, you know, allowing people to concealed carry guns. And on Friday, they said, we can't. You know, we must leave it to states to determine abortion rights state by state. We wouldn't want to have a federal ruling, you know, one ruling uh, that dictated. So what just happened? Well, I mean, if you're looking for consistency from this court, um, you're going to be looking a long time. I mean, among other things, they also said, you know, if we can't if the constitution doesn't speak directly to it if it didn't exist hundreds of years ago it's not an issue or you know we can't recognize the right um except they can when they want to and so you know it, it obviously the focus and the most devastating um case of the term is the dobbs decision no question but in multiple other cases in, in the gun case from new york multiple um uh, uh, separation of church and state cases in education context. Um, we've seen the court um, go very far, very fast, and to not just contra to offer up not just contradictory arguments, but really baseless arguments. Some of which they, you know, they said. Some of the justices said, you know, in their um, uh, hearings that, that they would not do. They they were asked point blank if they would respect the precedent of Roe v. Wade. And they did not. Um, and so again, the, I, it's a remarkable moment. It, it's a terrifying moment. It's also from an institutional standpoint, looking at the Supreme Court as an institution, it's really striking how much it's called its own legitimacy into question in such a short period of time and really forced the conversation that's already happening. But you know, we need a Supreme Court that is seen as legitimate, that is legitimate. And we don't have that right now. And so the conversation that's been going on about how to change that, how to fix that, is going to have to continue and move towards some kind of solution. Because um, and what kind of solution? Really what kind of solution do you advocate? Well, you know, I know there's a presidential commission that's been looking at this. Many people have offered a, a range of options. I think though it's becoming clear very rapidly that. The only option is, is that is not viable is inaction is to just ignore the problem because again it is really critical to our democracy that we have a supreme court that is seen as legitimate whose decisions are seen as legitimate and not as cynical political acts 
And in a very short time, this Supreme Court has done more to undermine the idea that it's a, it's a legitimate independent judicial institution than I think any of us really could have imagined. Um, but, and, you know, the Dobbs case, I think, is, is um, exhibit A. Um, and, you know, just to bring it back to, to that case, whether we're talking about Dobbs and uh, reproductive health care, whether we're talking about a Supreme Court that, um, you know, is viewed as legitimate, it is up to all of us to continue demanding um, change and that we never stop demanding when it comes to abortion rights, that we never stop demanding that we get our rights back that we never stop demanding, we, we can't normalize any of this. It's not normal. And we can't rely on any one strategy either. It's gonna take voting, it's gonna take organizing, it's gonna take local state and federal activism and engagement and sustained political engagement because that's what the right has done uh, for a very long time and very successfully. And now we're, we're seeing that. That's the only way forward. Lucy, um... You work for Planned Parenthood of Northern New England, but you're also just a woman in these United States. I'm just wondering what your feelings are at this moment um, <laughs> with the role that women have been sort of recast into. I mean, you grew up most of your life, abortion care and abortion rights were legal and you got to choose your fate, your future. Um, that is no longer the case for half of women of reproductive age in the United States. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, this is, uh, it's pretty devastating to go to bed feeling like a person and wake up the next day and at 10, 20, all of a sudden discover that your country does not consider you a person anymore, that you are a vessel that you are, your function is kind of analogous to livestock in terms of the kinds of rights that you have over your own body. It's very personal, it's devastating, and it's infuriating. And I, um, and it's still very raw for me. And I think about my niece, my nieces, and I think about, you know, I, I think about the young women that I see, college students. I think about, you know, the college students that I spoke with just the other day who were saying, oh my God, I have to do, redo all my college applications because all of my college applications were, were in states where abortion is now legal. I can't go there. I'm not going to do that. And just understanding um, the kind of turmoil and uncertainty that that puts people in and just the grief in the morning, morning, like we've known that misogyny exists and that sexism is real. At the same time, at least there was a facade of equality and now that facade is completely ripped away and our standing is very clear and it's very ugly. What do you say to your nieces, to those young women applying to colleges to, because people are, you know, so many people feel so crushed by this. Uh, as somebody who's can offer wise guidance, what do you offer? Fight like hell and don't don't accept it. Um, you know, that's the only thing I can say is that we and that I'm with them, you know, and that I love them unconditionally, and that this is a reflection of a really dysfunctional 
um, moment, history, uh, power structure that we have at the in this in this moment in time, and that they have the the the, rea the reality is that they can change it, that they can work together because that is what social movements are all about. And I hope I model that in for them every day in the work that I do. Um, and that I've really devoted my whole life to is some um, social justice and social change in one form or another. <sighs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, Lucy LaRiche and Duff Lyle, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. <laughs>